You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So I'm just going to give you a heads up this morning and tell you that what we're talking about today is something that everybody in the room can relate to really, really well. So during the sermon, you're not going to be going, yeah, it doesn't apply to me. Everybody in the room and online is going to say, yeah, that's where I live. How many of you enjoy a good mystery? Hands up really high in the air. I like a good mystery, either on television or a book, a good mystery. In in every good mystery, the detective always comes back after the crime has been committed with this question. Uh, Do you have any enemies that you know of who would like to bring harm to you or to someone you love, right? In other words, why would somebody commit such a crime, do what they've done? So I want to ask you a question this morning. So that means you've got to kind of have a conversation with me. You've got to kind of be looking at me in the eye, and I'm going to look you in the, in the, in the eye, in the, in the, on the camera in the eye. Uh, how many of you would say, uh, Pastor Rick, I think I have an enemy, and I think I know who it is. You think you have an enemy? Is there anybody in your life that you would say, I'm pretty sure someone wants to bring harm to me or harm to me and the people that I love? You do? According to the Bible, every one of us have an enemy. And according to the Bible and the passage we're going to read this morning together, the enemy, we know his name. It's the devil. So Simon Peter says, you have an enemy. Your enemy is the devil. And by the way, your enemy, the devil, wants to destroy you. He wants to mess your life up really bad. So you have an enemy, his name is the devil, he wants to mess with your life, he wants to destroy you. Jesus says about the enemy, Jesus says he has come to steal, he has come to kill, and he has come to destroy. And so, when we think like this, here we go. The enemy is trying to destroy you. See, I think that's kind of how we approach this thing. It's like me saying, hey, look up here this morning, everybody, because I got something to say to you. There is an enemy, and he is trying to destroy all of you. See, I think that's the way we approach it. That's not what Simon Peter says. Here's what he says. Your enemy is trying to destroy you. So instead of pointing the finger at everybody else saying, you guys have an enemy, mm -mm. you have an enemy. So would you look at the person beside you and say, you have an enemy. It is the devil and he's trying to destroy you. So you may say, why would the devil want to hurt me? And if that is your question, it's a little naive because that's not what Simon Peter says. He doesn't say that he wants to hurt you. He says he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your career. He wants to destroy your future. He wants to destroy your relationship with God. He wants to mess you up good. And so Simon Peter writes to people who lived 2,000 years ago. They're being persecuted because of their faith, persecuted because of their faith. And he says, you've got to understand that your enemy is not the person who is persecuting you. Your enemy is the devil. So you might have somebody in your life and you say, Pastor Rick, I'm pretty sure this person is my enemy. And the scripture is saying, actually, your enemy is the devil. It's bigger than that person. 
It's like when Paul says, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces. Did you hear me? The spiritual forces of evil. Your enemy is way bigger than an individual who's trying to bring pain into your life. Your enemy is the devil. And so he says, you have got to stand firm because the enemy wants to destroy you. So how many of you would say, I've been, you know, into the sermon here for five minutes and man, I'm feeling uplifted and encouraged already this morning, Pastor Rick. Yeah, I'm just breaking everybody's heart right off the bat here. Let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, okay? Here we go. Simon Peter says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. So resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So read this last sentence with me. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, I've shared with you over the last uh, year that last summer in 2019, my wife Annette and I and some friends got to go and spend about 10 days in Israel. And so I remember one morning we got up and we ate breakfast and we all got on this little bus that we were traveling in and we headed over to the city of Caesarea. You might remember in, in your history that a guy named Herod the Great, because the city was given to him by Augustus Caesar, wanted to honor him and show him his loyalty. And he said, I'm going to change the name to honor you, Caesar, and I'll name the city after you. And so he calls the city Caesarea after Caesar Augustus. And so we're going through the city, the ruins, and it's amazing what is still intact after 2,000 years. And there was Herod's castle, just the ruins of it. Really, you could only see kind of the foundation out on the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful. And then just up from that is the Hippodrome. So the Hippodrome is this beautiful outdoor stadium. It's, it's like an oval stadium. And the reason it's oval is because that's where they had chariot races. So you could almost imagine it. It was, it was breathtaking. The seats are all still intact. They circle around and wade down on this end. And then the chariot races and the stadium is open out to the, out to the Mediterranean Ocean. It's breathtaking. And so as I'm watching it all, looking, taking it all in, and just imagining the stands being filled with thousands of people watching the chariot races, our guide calls us over to the middle of the Hippodrome. And so we're standing down in the middle of the stadium. And I wasn't quite prepared for what he says next. He says, you know, we're standing at sea level. So 2,000 years ago, the people who would have stood in the middle of the Hippodrome were standing right where you're standing. 
And he said, not only were there chariot races in this hippodrome, but this is one of the places that they would march Christians out to a crowd of thousands before a race. And then they would spill the blood of Christians on the very soil you're standing on simply because they believed in Jesus and confessed Him as their King. And boy, you want to talk about earth-shaking, life-changing. And when I raised my head from that conversation to look around at all of those seats and imagine the thousands of people in the stands cheering and clapping and whistling and screaming and celebrating, I imagined it was me standing there confessing Christ in that moment losing my life because of my faith in Jesus. So, so you may say, what's all this suffering about in First Peter? I mean, we've been in it for 13 weeks, and every week it's, it's the suffering stuff. It's the suffering. It's the persecution. It's, it's, it's you know, being persecuted because of your faith. Here, here's the story. In the Roman Empire... Paul is writing to a group of people in a season in history when Christianity is forbidden. And so if you are caught practicing Christianity, confessing Christ, it means that you are arrested and you are treated like any other criminal. You are prosecuted. Many Christians suffered. Some lost their life. Some lost their life right there in that very hippodrome. I've said hippodrome four times as if that's the way you pronounce it. It's hippodome, and I don't know why I kept saying drome. Anyway. Beyond that, if your neighbor suspected you were Christian, they treated you differently. And that's why Peter keeps saying, don't retaliate when mistreated. Don't retaliate when mistreated. Don't bite back. Don't attack back. Don't retaliate when you're mistreated because of your faith. So... So can you imagine vulnerability with me for a minute? Think about this. If, if, if I'm a Christian man and I'm married to Annette and I've had my two daughters, Morgan and Brittany, and, and somebody comes to me and says, hey, let me tell you something, Rick, okay? You can either stop what you're doing, you can, you can denounce Christ, or this is what we're going to do to Annette, your wife, this is what we're going to do to Brittany, your oldest daughter, and then this is what we're going to do to Morgan, your youngest daughter. You can either cut it out and get in line, or this is what's going to happen, and then this is what we're going to do to you. You want to talk about vulnerability? You want to talk about me backing up and saying, can I do this? Can I stay true? Can I confess Christ? Can I stand firm in my faith? Can I be who God's called me to be? I mean, that's vulnerability. And so what we know is this, and that is that the enemy, he knows where we're vulnerable, and that's where he's going to attack us. So as you come to church on Sunday morning, and you think with me about those early believers, and you understand their situation, we knew what vulnerability was for them, right? Let me ask you a question. What is it for you? In other words, where is the enemy going to attack you? Where does the enemy see that you have a place of vulnerability in your life? And some of you are sitting here saying, I get it, Rick. I understand what you're saying because 90% of the time when the devil tempts me to sin, it's always in this one area. 
Once in a while I'm tempted over here. Once in a while I'm tempted over here. But most of the time the enemy tempts me in one, two, or three areas. He has my number. He knows where I'm vulnerable. And so Simon Peter says you've got to stand firm. Because the enemy is going to come at you. And he is going to come at you where you are most vulnerable. And you know where that is. And the enemy knows where that is. So earlier in the week, I was up early one morning and I was doing my devotions. And I ran across a devotional that I normally would never go to. But it was helpful for me. And I was anxious to share it with you this morning. So it starts out with a story about a school teacher who says to a student, Okay, I'm going to draw a line right where you're standing. And I want you to jump, okay, not straight up in the air, but I want you to jump forward as far as you can jump. And so the student says, and so I did, I'm, I'm standing here at this line and I, and I jumped forward. Now, to not embarrass myself, I'm not going to jump forward for you, okay? It wasn't that impressive, the student said. I didn't jump very far. Then the teacher drew a line where I jumped to. Okay, that's how far you jumped. Now, let's do it this way. I want you to go that direction as far as you want to. And I want you to run this direction as fast as you're comfortable running. When you get to the line, I want you to leave the ground and jump as far as you can. And so the student said, that's what I did. I went that way, uh, good ways. I ran as hard as I wanted to run. When I got to the line, I left the ground and I jumped as far as I could. And my jump was much more impressive. And what was the difference? It was momentum. I was already moving in the direction I was going to jump. I had force and speed behind me. And the momentum carried me much further than I would have gone without the momentum. So when you think about your walk with God today, you have some momentum. Rick, I'm doing really good, man. I've been spending some great time in prayer with the Lord. I've been into the Word lately. I found a place to do some serving, some giving. Became really frequent with church attendance, either in person or online, but I'm keeping up really well. There's some good things going on in my walk with God. I've got a group of people that are praying for me. I pray for them. We invest in each other. I've been able to consistently make decisions that honor God. When I'm tempted, I've been able to walk away. I've been able to say no. I've just got some good momentum going in my life these days. It, it, it's like a car kind of headed over a hill. I'm picking up speed. You know, the, the further I go, the faster I go. I mean, it's just, it's going well in my walk with the Lord. And the enemy will do everything he can because the most dangerous person the enemy finds is a person who is gaining momentum in their walk with God. So, so what happens if you just if you just kind of come to a stop? I, I, I don't know. I got off track. I gave in to temptation. I'm, I'm trying to get back going again. You know what I mean? But it's kind of hard because I was doing so well before. But right now it's kind of like I'm trying to get trying to get started again, you know, because the enemy kind of tripped me up and I kind of lost my way. See, here's, here's what Simon Peter is talking about. Anything he can do, anything he can do to get these early believers 
to just kind of step on the brake for a minute. They've got momentum. We, we need to get them stopped because as they pick up momentum, man, they're getting dangerous. They're beginning to advance the kingdom in powerful ways. And if I can just attack them individually, maybe I can slow them down. And some of you are saying, Pastor Rick, that's my story. I was doing so well and then the enemy tripped me up and I blew it. And so what do you, what do, you do? What do you do? And so Simon Peter says, here's what you do. You're going to stand firm, okay? Now, let me just think with you for a minute about standing firm, okay? Let's suppose that uh, this is Jonathan. I just met him a few minutes ago over here. And I say, Jonathan, you and I are going to stand on this altar right here. And uh, as we do, uh, we're going to engage, you know, into kind of this trying to throw the other guy off. And so what I'm going to do before I engage with Jonathan is I'm going to get my footing, right? I'm, I truly am. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get in a little more of an athletic mode. I'm going to get my feet down. I'm going to get them strong. And I'm going to say, okay, let's go at it, Jonathan. Do you think you could take me, by the way? <laughs> He's like 100% sure. So, so the, the language that Simon Peter uses when he says to these believers, the enemy is going to come at you, right? You have an enemy. It's the devil. He wants to destroy you. He's coming at you, right? He knows where you're vulnerable. He knows where you're weak. And so what you got to do is you have got to get your stance and you've got to stand firm. The literal meaning is become immovable. And here's what he says. Here's what standing firm looks like, all right? Be self-controlled. So I'm going to say a word, and then you're going to say it after me if you don't mind. You're with me? All right. Let me go back and find out what the word is. <laughs> Nafo. Nafo. Okay, it's a Greek word. You know what it means? Just take a breath. Let it out. Calm, collected. You know what the opposite of nafo is? Emotional reaction. <laughs> Do you know that I live in a world right now that is being dominated by emotional reaction? Nobody's thinking. They're just reacting. And Simon Peter says, you... You've got to stand firm, and, and the way that you stand firm is nafo. You, you don't react. You calm, you collect your thoughts, and you respond. See? See, sometimes you and I will hear about somebody that's just fallen off the deep end, they've fallen into deep sin, and they've just lost everything. And you know what we always say? We always say, what were they thinking? They weren't. They reacted. They weren't calm. They weren't collected. They didn't say, okay, where's this going to end up one day? They took the bait. So, stand firm. Be self-controlled. Then the other thing that he says is be alert. You understand... The devil is cunning. He is sly. He is deceitful. You cannot take a nap on this guy. If you take a nap, you lose. All right? 
So you've just got to be alert. You've got to be watching. You know that he's cunning. You know that he's deceitful. You know that he's going to do anything he can to trip you up. Here's what Jesus says about the devil. Jesus said, when he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. That's what Jesus says about the devil, all right? When he lies, he speaks his native language because he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So stand firm, be self-controlled, be alert. And then the third thing that he says is you resist him. Well, what, what does that mean? That means that you say, not happening today. No way. Not doing it. Forget about it. Walk on. Not going to happen with me. You know what the Bible says happens when we say that to the devil? The Bible says when you resist the devil in James, the Bible says he will flee from you. He says, really? Well, then I'm out of here. So I want to enter into a little conversation with you that just reminds you that the Word of God teaches us that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. See, sometimes I think we have this idea that you have God and you have the devil. And they're both very powerful. And every day they go to battle. And it just depends on which one was the strongest that day. No, no, no. That's not the way it is. We are not dualists in our theology. We believe that the devil has been defeated. We believe that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Here's what the Word of God teaches us. The reason the Son of God appeared was destroy the devil's work. You understand that it's not like the devil is strong and God is strong and every day they duke it out and we have to see who wins. No, no, no. It's not like that. You never have to lose this battle when you are being tempted. And so here's what Simon Peter does. He says, you understand, we've got family members all around the world that are facing the same kind of thing that you are facing. But one of my favorite verses is like it when Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13 says, There is no temptation that has ever come upon you that is not common to man, and God has provided you a way out. So you may say, Rick, I, I, I was tempted, man, and I mean, it was coming on me strong, and it was heavy. I mean, I don't know that anybody has ever faced temptation like this before. Oh, yes, they have. It happens all the time. The devil only has a bag of tricks. He's not very creative. But the ones that he has have been pretty effective. And he tempts other people the same way that he's tempting you. And here's what the Word of God says. There is no temptation... That will ever come upon you that is not common to man. Other people are being tempted in the same way. That's what Simon Peter is saying. Your family members around the world are going through the same kind of thing. But God has provided you a way out. What does that mean? Do you see that door right over there? There is a door. And God says there will always be a door when you are being tempted. There is always a way out. You never have to give in. You never have to stay. You never have to sit in it. You can leave if you want to leave. You do not have to give in. God will always make sure there is a door, a way out. So maybe it's not always a literal door. Maybe. 
Maybe you just say, you know what? I'm going to turn it off. Can't hurt me if I turn it off. I'll take its power. It will have no power. It has no power to hurt me when it has no power. Maybe it's a matter of in the moment when you are tempted, you say, I am not going to unload on this person in front of me. I'm not doing it. Maybe a slight grin comes across your face and you feel empowered to say, yeah, (laughs) I could give you an earful, but I'm not. And maybe it's that you don't respond to that text. Maybe you make a commitment to yourself. Before I do, I'm going to pray. There is always a way out. So you have an enemy. He is the devil. He wants to destroy you. He knows where you're vulnerable. And Simon Peter says, you have got to get your footing and you've got to stand firm. Okay? You want to be self-controlled. You want to be alert. And you want to resist him. So let me wrap it up with this. I, I, I probably was taught this song by my mother, but I would be too young to remember. If not my mother, it was a Sunday school teacher, and, and maybe both. But we taught the song to our kids, and you probably remember the song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. I hate it when you make me do the solo thing. (laughs) I feel like there's some of you just sitting there going, just let him die up there. Just let him die. (laughs) Remember another verse? Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you touch. I like this one. You ready for this one? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. So be careful, little feet. So I wonder how many people in this room and listening online in this moment would say, Rick, you have no idea. No idea in the world how much better my life could be if I had just paid attention to that simple little strong. There are some things I wish my eyes had never seen. There are some things I wish my hands had never touched. There are places I would give anything if my feet had never gone. You have no idea, Pastor. I mean, you can't even begin to comprehend how different my life could look today if I had just paid attention to that simple little song that I learned as a child. 
And see, the reason we taught Brittany that song, our oldest daughter, and the reason we taught Morgan that song was because we knew that they would one day be tempted to see things they shouldn't see and to touch things they shouldn't touch and to go places they shouldn't go. And we wanted so much more for them than that. Do you understand the deep theology in that song? The Father up above is looking down in love. He's not looking down in anger. He's not looking down in disgust. He's not looking down saying, I don't want you to enjoy your life. I don't want you to have any fun. I don't want you to be fulfilled. No, he's looking down in love saying, that stuff is bad for you. And I've got much higher dreams for you than that. I envision a life with none of that in it for you. And I want the best for you. So be careful what you touch, what you see, where you go, because I love you. Simon Peter says, you have an enemy. It's the devil. He wants to destroy you. He knows where you're vulnerable. So you've got to stand firm, hold your ground. So this week, when the enemy comes on you, here's what you do. You say, you know what? Number one. I'm going to gather my thoughts here. I'm not going to react. I'm going to think about the future. I'm going to think about where this train will take me. I'm going to be alert. I'm not going to take a nap on this guy. He's cunning and he's sly. You've got to watch him. I know that. When it all boils down to it, I'm going to say, not happening here today, man. You can walk away. I'm not falling for your tricks. So how many of you would say, Rick, for me to live that way, I need a lot of grace. I'm one of those people. And so God has provided grace for us this morning. When you walked in, you received a cup. Would you take that? And those of you who are at home, would you gather those elements right now? I want you to know if God can part the Red Sea, He can help you get that open. (laughs) And so just figure it out. And those of you who are home, get ready to join us here. And I love the fact that we got a few folks uh, joining us from home right now. And so those people that you see represent about another 14, 1,500 people this Sunday morning who are worshiping from their homes with us. And so, Lord, the elements I hold in my hand and the elements that Tim and Darlene hold in their hands and the elements that Jeannie holds in her hand, we consecrate to you in this moment. And the elements that many hundreds hold in their hands, we consecrate to you. And so Jesus was with his disciples and he offered them grace. This is my body, he said. Take it and eat it. It's been broken for you. And this is my blood of the new covenant. Take it and drink it, all of you, and be thankful. And so, Father, as I eat and drink today and as this food and drink enters into my body and flows throughout the veins in my body. That's how I see your grace right now coming into my life. 
and flowing through every part of me. Grace to stand firm. Grace to be alert. Grace to say no to the enemy when tempted. Give us all grace, I pray. In Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.